Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Okay, so uh, this is Luke 14, starting in verse 12. Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, let me pray for us briefly. Uh, Father, as we come now to your word, uh, would it be true food for us? Uh, would you make sense of it for us and apply it to our hearts? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the best tickets I ever got to a game, a sporting event, happened by kind of a fluke. There's a picture of it right there. The best seats I ever had. Uh, I was visiting friends from college. We all met up at my alma mater and we wanted to go to a basketball game. And kind of like through a friend of a friend of a friend, we ended up with these seats on the floor at center court and it wasn't just that because our seats you can see i'm i'm the one who looks like the little brother of the two there and uh we're all wearing these like lanyards because they have passes on them and the passes were for like the high-end lounge at the arena it was included in these seats that we had just like randomly been given and it wasn't just that because on that particular day in the high-end lounge in the arena they were celebrating a donor who had given $5 million to the basketball team at the school. And so I found myself at halftime, like walking in, you know, the food is just incredible. Uh, I get handed a glass of champagne as I walk in the door to the lounge because we're toasting this guy. He's a CEO and like basketball stars are in the room and presidents of things are in the room. And I can remember having two thoughts in that moment. Uh, The first thought was, I do not belong here. But the second thought, as I kind of looked down at my pass, was 
I kind of do belong here. Like I was invited here and this is incredible. And there's not really a better way to sum up the basics of Christianity than that. And that's what we're going to look at in this parable. And the context of this parable that Jesus tells is that he's been eating at the house of a, of a religious leader. And they all freak out because Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath, which is a good thing to do. Uh, but they freak out. And in response to them freaking out about him healing someone, he starts to teach. And he says in verse 12, do, don't do nice things for people who can repay you. He's obviously using hyperbole here. But he says, the danger is they'll repay you. Instead, do nice things for people who can't repay you, and you'll be blessed because they can't repay you. It's this way of saying that if you serve the poor and lonely, it is a sign that you're trusting in the future payment to come in God's kingdom. And in verse 15, we see that uh, there's a man there, and he's kind of, he's like, oh, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And it's clear that he's not actually hearing what Jesus is saying. It's like he caught maybe the tail end, but he didn't get the whole thing. And what you need to know is that like everyone in that room would have been thinking about and waiting for the kingdom of God. All of Israel of all, for all time has been waiting for the kingdom of God. This time when God would establish his king on the throne and everything would be made right. But the problem was that that idea of the kingdom had become more about, at that time, keeping people out uh, than what it was really meant to be. And so Jesus realizes they're not on the same page. And so he says, all right, let's talk about the kingdom of God. And this is where he tells the parable. And the parable is a simple one. It's about a man who throws a banquet and he invites lots of people. And when it's time for the banquet to start, he sends out his servant to go get everyone and everyone starts making excuses for why they can't come. And so he sends his servant to bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, people who will gladly come to a banquet because they never get invited to any banquets, and there's still room, and so he sends his servant to find even bigger outcasts so that his house can be filled. Now I want to divide this parable, this is just a good rule for parables, is to kind of divide it into the different characters. Uh, so we have the guests who decline, the guests who accept, and then the host is, and his servant. So first of all, the guests who decline, uh, they make excuses, and all of their excuses are lame. Uh, not only are they lame, but they're insulting. You know, imagine have, spending all this time preparing a banquet, and people tell you they're going to go, and then they bail on you. So they're lame and insulting, but... Most importantly, the excuses reveal the hearts of the people. Specifically, that the other good things that they have going for them are crowding out the best thing. Uh, this is much different than the way most people think about how being distant from God works. Uh, we typically think that people that are far away from God are probably the ones that are just like clearly sinning in all these illicit ways. And that'll create distance from God too. But here Jesus highlights how these people that are missing the banquet, missing the kingdom of God, are the ones that can view the banquet as kind of like a secondary thing. Something that's optional. It's not really that they're anti the banquet. They just have other things that take priority over the banquet. All right. And what that means for us is that we need to see that a big reason we may 
be missing God, a big reason we may feel distant from God, or maybe that God is boring, maybe because he's not functionally our God. Maybe he's actually more like a side pursuit. Uh, a few years ago, I was invited, a friend of mine called me. We have been, we sat across the table from each other in kindergarten, and we've been good friends ever since, and he called me, and he asked if I would officiate his wedding. And the thing about it was that the wedding was in like a year and a half. And so I look at the date on my calendar, there's nothing, you know, how can you plan for like a year? I had no idea what's going on a year and a half from now, but I immediately said like, it's on my calendar, I'll be there. Because I'm not going to miss the wedding of one of my best friends of all time. I'll, I'll shuffle everything else around, right? It shows my priorities. Uh, I wonder what priorities you're shuffling around in your life. Uh, what, what things in life would you most readily sacrifice time with God for? Service to God for? Uh, when you try to pray, where does your mind most easily wander to? Uh, maybe it's something like... I think for a lot of us, it's the future. We want to make sure we have a good future and that it's secure. Or maybe it's a relationship. We want, to, we want it to work out. Uh, and you can see why God might feel distant when we live this way, because God's actually getting in the way of what we really want, what we're ultimately living for. And Jesus is teaching that these people are lost because the other good things they have prevent them from seeing how great a banquet could be. So that's the guests who decline. But now I want to look at the guests who accept, the guests at the banquet. Uh, Jesus tells the servant to go get the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And what you need to know about that subset of people is that religious people at that time typically excluded these people as if they were responsible for their condition. Like, uh, if someone was, was blind, the attitude was like, it's, prob it's your fault that you're blind, or maybe your parents' fault. Somebody sinned, and that's why you are the way you are. And so they could judge these people and exclude these people. Uh, so these were real, in that time, real outcasts. And uh, the servant gathers them up, and it says there's still room. And so the master sends his servant even further out to find even more excluded people and compel them to come in. Now, the difference between the decliners and the acceptors is, is that the acceptors think that it's a really big deal that they would be invited to a banquet. It's like, me? Are you sure? And that's the heart of the gospel. The kingdom of God, really, is that poor, crippled, blind, and lame people get invited to the best banquet. Uh, this is such good news for those of us that feel like failures a lot of the time. Um, you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like God should just be done with me? Like, why, why is he not done with me yet? You know, when, or, you know, I thought I had my life together and I was doing great and then like things fell apart again. Isn't God done with me? And here Jesus is saying, if you feel like that, then you might be the exact kind of person God wants at his feast because you actually might appreciate it. Uh, that's what it means to be a Christian. It means to know I don't belong at most banquets, but there's one banquet I do belong at. It's the best one. The king of the universe has invited me. He wants me. Uh, so it's this weird mix of like low and high self-esteem. You know, on one hand, I know I deserve nothing. On the other hand, I know I get to have 
it all. And the good news about God's banquet is that the only way you can disqualify yourself is by not wanting to go, is by prioritizing some lesser good. Uh, so if you truly choose to follow Jesus, then he will take you on this journey where you simultaneously come to realize, uh, I'm more messed up than I thought. Uh, but the love of God is so much better than I ever imagined. The feast is so much better than I could have ever guessed. Uh, so what can we take away from the parable? Uh, the first thing we can take away is that there's hope when we're ashamed. When, when we feel ashamed of ourselves or when we face hardship in life of all kinds or when we feel marginalized or when our future looks bleak, uh, maybe God is awakening in you some sense of needing a seat at the table. Maybe God's compelling you to come in and take a seat because uh, it's only the outcasts that get a seat. It's only those that feel tremendous need. Uh, you'll only come near to God when you realize you have no other good options. But the second takeaway is that we need to serve. Uh, if you know you don't deserve anything, but you've been given everything, then that means we should serve those in need. We should, in other words, be on the lookout for the marginalized, for the outcasts. Uh, nothing will bring you closer to God than serving and loving marginalized people because that's exactly where God is. So how can we do it? How can we follow through? How can we actually draw near and submit to God, follow him? Uh, we can do it when we know the host, when we know the banquet host and his servant. Uh, and I want you to look at, uh, if you have your Bible, verse 21, it says that the host is angry. Why is the banquet host angry? He has every right to be angry, right? Everyone is slighting him. But the fact that he wants to make sure that his banquet is full shows a deeper reason. And the deeper reason is that he just knows how good his banquet is. And he knows how bad every alternative is in comparison. I don't like to cook a whole lot. There's a few things I can make well. I prefer when other people cook for me, typically, but I can make a really good steak on the grill. You know, I can make it, I can rotate it to get the grill marks just right, and I could make you a really good steak. And I want you to imagine that I make you uh, my best steak. I make you filet mignon, and I get it out for you, and you respond by saying, you know what, I just like stuffed myself with Sour Patch Kids, so I'm gonna have to pass, right? I will be angry with you in that moment because I will know how much goodness you're missing out on. Now, I don't know what, what your perception of what life with God is like, but the Bible actually tells us exactly what life with God is like. And we see it in Isaiah chapter 25. I think we have a slide for that. Uh, Isaiah 25. This was written 750 years before Jesus came. But this picture of what life with God, the feast, will ultimately be like. And I want to just read it for us. It says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations, he will swallow up death forever. 
and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. There's a lot of good stuff in there, right? Uh, But I think the best part is the intimacy with God. The best part is that God comes so close as to wipe even the tears off our faces. And because Jesus has come, like we can know that reality now. We can know it in, in fullness one day, but we can know it now. Um, there's one more thing about the feast. How else do we know that it's good? Uh, we know it's good because of what it costs. In verse 8 there, it says that God will swallow up death forever. Uh, how does he swallow up death forever? It happens when the one who told the parable continues on his way to Jerusalem and allows himself to be swallowed up by death as he dies for outcasts uh, because he's the only one that could conquer death. And he did it because it was worth it to him. He did it because poor, crippled, blind, lame outcasts are worth it to him. I don't know what you've spent the last couple of months doing or I don't know the ways that you're currently running away from the feast, but I do know this. You are worth it to him. You're precious to him. He sees all of you, and he wants you. And because that's true, how will your life then reflect the feast? And who will you bring in to the feast? Uh, Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you invite uh, the likes of us to a feast. And I pray that we would be changed by that reality entirely. And I do pray that you would make us people that know your love and that serve and that look out for the marginalized uh, because we've been changed by your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So hey, what's going